Good morning, and welcome to Lakeland. Let me unpack that clip a little bit for, for those of you who aren't nerds. This comes from Lord of the Rings in this, in this kingdom. Are there any of you left who aren't nerds? Uh, the, the, uh, the kingdom has no king, and the king has been uh, lost, basically. And so they established a steward, one who's supposed to care for the kingdom and rule the kingdom and preserve the kingdom until the return of the king. And to remind the steward of this role, they set up this dual throne. See, there's a white throne up there at the top of the stairs. That's where the king, when he returns, will sit. In the meantime, there is a lower throne where the steward sits and from there preserves the kingdom in awaiting the returning king. But as we see in this scene, the steward gotten a little above himself. He, he sits down there, pretend, but he basically is ruling as if he sits on the high throne. In fact, he's even said, I'll not bow to any other king. The rule of this kingdom is mine and no other. So he's really, probably when no one's in the room, he sneaks up there and sits on the high throne. He's a usurper. He's a throne stealer. As I think of this story, it reminds me of something which happened to Jesus. We're going to go back to the Tuesday before the cross. So are you there, Tuesday before the cross? You remember a couple of days ago, Jesus rode into town riding on a donkey, the symbol from the Old Testament of the coming king. People even lined up along the road and said, Lord, save us, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, created a big scene. The next day, yesterday, Jesus went into the temple and he saw people buying and selling. It was filled with pigeons and cows and this kind of stuff. And he threw tables up in the air and scattered money all over the floor and made a whip and whipped all the animals out of the temple. And he's running around yelling at everybody, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. One man riot in the temple yesterday. So today, Jesus is coming back into the temple. It's very crowded this time of year. And he finds they're waiting for him. The Pharisees, the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of religious law, they've got a little posse there, and they're waiting for Jesus to come into the temple. And when he arrives, Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 28, they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Jesus replied, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. He's talking about his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, kind of this wild man prophet who was out in the desert saying he was preparing the way for the coming Messiah, make straight paths. What got him in trouble is he went outside the uh, presidential palace and yelled up at the king, you're doing things against God. And so they captured him, put him in prison, and finally cut his head off at a dinner party and brought it out on a platter. So Jesus asked the, the, all these religious teachers and stuff, John the Baptist, did his authority to baptize come from God or just from him? Well, they all pulled together in a little huddle because what they want to say is John was an upstart who got what he deserved, but the temple's really crowded with people and the people love John the Baptist. He was like a celebrity. So... They don't want to lose face with the crowd. On the other hand, if they come out and say, oh, John the Baptist was from God, they know Jesus' next response will be, oh, really? Then why didn't you listen to him? So they huddle, 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 and finally they come out and have the perfect politician answer. We don't know. 
Verse 33, and Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Now for years I thought, what a cop-out for Jesus. He had an opportunity to say, I am the Son of God, I come from God, and he didn't do it. But after I studied the situation further, I see why. They've already said, we're here to play politics. We won't say what we really think because it'll, you know, turn the crowd against us. And so we'd rather step up and say, we don't know. But the problem is, they're the chief priests. They're supposed to sit on that low throne and preserve the kingdom of God for the coming Messiah. And they just admitted, we can't tell the difference between something that comes from God or not. So if Jesus says, well, I'm God. I'm the son of God. I come from God. They've already admitted we can't tell the difference between things that come from God or not. Or if we can, we pretend like we don't so that we can play politics. There's no reason for Jesus to speak into this. They've already shown who they are. The truth is that they're usurpers of the throne. Basically, their words really mean we decide when God acts. We decide who is from him and who isn't and what they do while they're in our presence. The throne belongs to us. As I was studying for this, I ran across this uh, writing by David Garland who compared this story to what he observed every summer when he hangs up his hummingbird feeder. This story reminds me of what happens every summer when I put up a hummingbird feeder. One hummingbird always attempts to take it over as his very own private feeder. The bird chases off any other hummingbird that dares to venture near. It requires constant vigilance. It's like watching World War I dogfights as the bird darts back and forth, pursuing dozens of trespassers through tree branches and swearing his outrage in hummingbird chirps. The bird only stops when exhausted and rarely takes time to perch and drink at his feeder. But it's not his feeder. It's mine. I bought it. I prepared the mixture of water, sugar, and red food coloring. I risked my neck hanging it up on a tree branch to draw all the hummingbirds, not just this one. The imperious hummingbird behaves like many humans do in God's vineyard, only our similar behavior does not cause God much amusement. Covetousness makes humans want what they should not have. It makes them think that this desire should be fulfilled at all costs. Other persons become things to exploit, and our own desires become our God. We forget who it is that's hung up our hummingbird feeder. We forget who belongs on the high throne. After Jesus has this encounter with these teachers, he turns to the crowd and tells them a story. Here's the story Jesus told in Mark chapter 12. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crops. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed, 
until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir of the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked? I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? And then he quotes the Psalms. The stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. It's not hard to see what Jesus is saying in this story. He's saying God has made you, the people of Israel, to be the hope and his voice to the world. The Old Testament says over and over again that all nations will be blessed through the descendants of Abraham and through your understanding that there is one God, creator and ruler of all the universe. But in the religious leaders in Jesus' time are constantly trying to sneak up there and sit on that throne. The Old Testament is filled with stories of prophets who were sent to give them warnings, to say, turn back to God, people. Remember, you're a voice to all the nations. Show them how the people of God live. And they didn't listen. In fact, they would torture and sometimes kill God's prophets. Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, the list goes on and on, and they didn't listen to any of them. In fact, Nehemiah, when he rebuilds Jerusalem, recounts their history to them and reminds them of this. In chapter 9, he says, Despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. And they committed terrible blasphemies. It's not hard to see what Jesus is saying in this story. He's saying you didn't listen to any of the messengers God has ever sent to you. And nor do you listen to his son when he comes. In fact, you plan to kill him. This is the season of Lent. Lent is a season of 40 days and then the Sundays are extra. Leading up to Easter, it's a season of repentance and reflection. And many Christians will uh, fast during the season of Lent. They give up, some people will give up lunch all during Lent. Some will give up meat all during Lent. Some will give up chocolate. Some will give up watching television or playing video games. Some will give up checking Facebook. You'll see some of your friends will have a thing. Don't bother um, fasting from Facebook for Lent. People will pick something that's part of either their daily urges, hunger, or their daily rhythm. Something that will make them uncomfortable to be without. Lent is not a time to shed bad habits or that extra annoying 10 pounds. Lent is a time to uh, create a disruption from something you normally enjoy or crave or seek out and then use that disruption to remind you to pray. So that when you feel that gnaw of hunger or you feel that boredom coming on, you say, oh yes, when I feel that during Lent, I'm to pray. And so this morning, we gave out to you on the table back there, and you can pick one up if you didn't, a card. It's got a ring because we're going to add cards to it throughout the season of Lent, and it's pocket size so you can carry it. And whenever you feel that disruption, 
you can pray this, and this is what we'd recommend you pray this week. Lord, show me the ways I have set myself on your throne, that I may confess and repent and enjoy your abundant life. So I'll have a story first. During this season of Lent, I'll have to confess as pastor the ways that I've tried to climb up and steal God's throne. And for me, it's in the way very often that I lead this church. Very often I fall into thinking that all of this is me. It's all because of me and my doing and my uh, good leadership. It's my church, not ours, not God's, mine. If the church is growing and the people are flourishing, that can only be because of my good leadership. And if the church is not growing and not flourishing, it can only be because one of you is not following my good leadership. (laughs) So my latest throne steal has been that right now we have one staff member that covers fifth grade through 12th grade, and I want two. I want one staff member just for those middle school kids, five through eight, and one just for high school, nine through 12, and I want those two people here on site working yesterday. Now, we're doing great stuff in middle school. The thing's growing like gangbusters. I heard they had 75 middle schoolers here on Sunday morning last week, a new record. The high school has a great and faithful following as well, but I want more. And you'll notice I have used the word I seven times in the last two sentences. I, 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 me, me, me. And the only question is, does God want us to have these things right now? And the even better question is, do I even care whether God wants us to have these things or do I plan to have them anyway? God's welcome to sign up for that idea if you would like. And the reason why I lack such clarity on this is because of so little prayer. I've done a lot of planning and scheming and spreadsheets and meetings, but very little prayer. Now, I've had all week to practice this sermon, so I've been praying like crazy about this, and the elders have begun to meet about youth in middle school, but hey, that's cheating, because at the time the sermon was written, that was not happening. I have some repenting to do this Lenten season, to come back down off that throne, down to this one, which at Lakeland is shared with two other pastors and six elders and a host of volunteer and influential leaders. There's a lot of little thrones down there. Where we're all back in God's hands, and this is God's church, and it is not mine. Lord, show me the ways I have set myself on your throne, that I may confess and repent and enjoy your abundant life. That'll be one of my stories. Do you have a story of repentance this season? Maybe your story is like uh, R.G. Letourneau. I read R.G. Letourneau's biography uh, this year, and this is a man's book, all right? This guy invented the bulldozer and the offshore drilling platform and the electric wheel, and he gets grisly injuries and chops part of his leg off with an axe and breaks his neck and carries his head on his right shoulder for six months, and he lives through the San Francisco earthquake. He's also a follower of Jesus. So as you're reading, you're reading about being a businessman who follows Jesus. You're also reading about how to get more torque out of a crane. Good book. So, He works hard building this earth-moving business, and by 1931, he has turned his first $100,000 profit, which in 1931 is some money. So 
he goes before the Lord, who's finally given him a prophet for the first time, and he says, Lord, uh, you are the landowner, the vineyard, the hanger of my bird feeder, and it's now time when I return a portion to you. But God, I'm gonna make you a deal. Instead of doing that, I'm gonna invest everything we've made this year back into the business. We're gonna make it huge, and next year, when we turn the gigantic profit, I'm gonna give you a gift that you can write home about. Now, if you know how giving works, you know that it doesn't really work that way. Notice in the vineyard, it said the landowner put up a wall, dug a press, built a tower. The landowner built all this, and then he just gives it to the farmers. They didn't really have to do a whole lot. We're supposed to remember it's God who made creation. And so uh, a year later, Letourneau finds himself $100,000 in debt. And he writes this. We had our struggles. However, I remember the horror of my accountant the first week when he discovered I couldn't pay any salaries, including his. I went to church the following Sunday, taking my place in the choir, where I filled the bass section with bulk, if not melody. I had forgotten it, but this was the Sunday the annual pledges for missionary work were taken up, so they had financial challenges too. I listened to the speakers, especially a foreign missionary with a highly stirring plea, and I said to myself, Lord, I'm sorry, but there just isn't any way I can make a pledge this year. I can't even meet my payroll. Right then I had the thought that I had failed to share with the Lord the year before when I had my first big profit, promising to share with him this year when my profits would be big pickings. Certainly in dropping me 100000 in debt, he'd shown me the error of my ways. Was I to fail him again? This is what we do with money. We forget the Lord is the creator of all and all the wealth of the world that we're stewarding. It comes from him. We rule it from that low throne, but we are to return a portion to him. He lets us keep the vast majority of it and use it for our care and, and uh, for advancement and doing great things. But we will return a portion to him, mostly maybe to remind ourselves that there is still one who sits on the high throne who gave us all of this. But we forget, and we sneak up there on the high throne, and we sit back and we say, I did all the work. I built all this wealth with my hard work and creativity, and it's all mine. And if there's anything left over after I get done doing with it, what I want and need to do with it, then we'll talk about other things. Lord, show me the ways I have set myself on your throne, that I may confess, repent, and enjoy your abundant life. R.G. Letourneau repented, and he writes this about the following month. I will say my accountant was appalled when I insisted upon adding the missionary pledge plus the same amount for the year I had missed to our mountain of debts. There goes the business, he said. I don't think so, I said. We'll add the pledge to the payroll, and whenever we can meet the payroll, we can meet the pledge. I think I'd better get out of here, my accountant said. The Bible isn't one of the books we used in cold cash bookkeeping. You're thinking of quitting, I asked. No, he said slowly. We can't be any worse off than we are now. I'll stick around and see how the show ends. Within a month, we were meeting the payroll and the pledge on time. We're making it, my accountant reported. With the help of the Lord, I said. If I stick around here much longer, you'll have this accountant believing that too. 
This story ends with Letourneau supplying 70% of the earth-moving equipment that was used by all the Allied forces in World War II. His earth movers were able to repair the runways at Pearl Harbor so quickly that the planes that had taken off when the attack began were able to land on those same bombed out runways that afternoon before the fuel ran out. By the end of his life in 1967, he was giving 90% of his personal income to Christian work in the world and 50% of his business income. That's the story of repentance. Here's a story of repentance that comes to us from our ministry partner, Pastor Wood in China. He is a, a Chinese pastor. He has dual citizenship now in America and China. He oversees Bible training schools, uh, missions, and churches all over China. And some of them can operate uh, quite openly and are accepted now because things are changing in parts of China. And other parts, they still have to operate in secret because of the anti-religious secret police. So he shared a story with us when he was here of 2002. And 10 because his job requires constant prayer. He's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into a country and into a place where it has never been before. And um, that takes constant prayer and it's dangerous. So he told us a story once uh, here on our Lakeland stage and we'll hear the recording in just a moment of how he was captured by the secret police just a few weeks before the Beijing Olympics. Let's listen to this story about repentance. Last July, uh, I finished the, the underground training in Kunming and was on the way to Beijing to join some people there to, to pray for the Olympics. And uh, some people, uh, very strong-bodied people, came to me and said that they would like to talk with me. And then a van uh, pulled over, they pushed me into the van and uh, put a black hood over my head. And I was uh, uh, really freaked out at that moment. I didn't know what, uh, what kind of people I'm, uh, I was dealing with. It was looked like uh, the tourists in those extreme Muslim countries, they would be kidnapped. Then they took me into a very secret place and said they are the policemen. They represent the Chinese government. They wanted me just to answer two questions, to tell them every person I met and every place I visited. Immediately, I, of course, I knew what they were up to. They wanted to know our training facility. And I remained silent. Uh, I just told them it was true that uh, I was sharing the gospel for all the past 10 years. Whatever I do was to serve the Lord. They got exhausted. They couldn't get anything out from me. They left to, uh, to sleep. Then they wouldn't let me sleep. They wouldn't give me any food. And uh, they asked me to go and face the war and kneel down and to uh, confess and say, tomorrow tell us uh, everything you did against the, the communist government. In China, to force some people to uh, stand on their knees is to humiliate them and to break down their will to resist. I had no choice, so I just uh, went to the corner and knelt down but immediately, the Holy Spirit fell upon me. And uh, I started to repent as those policemen requested. <laughs> I said, the Lord, uh, for all those uh, years and uh, for these few months, I'm preoccupied with the activities. And I run all around and do things for you. 
but you want us to spend time with you and uh, you want us to know you more often we will have all kinds of excuses some of them they look like good excuses and we will serve him and uh, be very very busy so we will not pray so we will not spend time with him but today you want me to spend time with you so you use this uh, atheist communist policeman and to force me and to let me have this time with you and uh, i give all thanks to you because it's really a blessing in disguise or otherwise i would be still busy 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 so i knelt down there for three hours and prayed and prayed that was the really the best time uh, for my life all this uh, uh, time all these years and even the uh, policemen surrounding me they got uh, uh, amazed they said why you are happy and uh, we thought you would be miserable you have all the smiles you look very joyful I said thank you he says why you want to thank us I said because you let me have this time to spend with my Lord and I repent as you requested me so they uh, <laughs> Then for the next 10 days, every day, I had three times I was able to, uh, to pray and pray for myself, for my nation, and for the churches, and also for these people. Dan has been saying a lot for the last two years, and I'm just starting to understand why do we come to church? The reason we come to church is to learn to pray. If we don't leave here today knowing how to listen to the Lord more and how to share with him more honestly from our heart, we kind of wasted our time. And, you know, in our sin and fallenness, I'm sure Sundays we don't help you learn to pray better, but it is the primary thing we're here for, to learn to connect to God more. In fact, every one of you has jobs and roles in your life that are too important to be doing without prayer. Raising kids? As I say that, I, I'm astonished to think how little I pray about, Lord, what should I be doing with my son? What should I be doing with my daughter? Because you know, clearly I have no plan. Trying to be married? What about the employees that you care for? What about the job that you do and what it does for our community? How do we think we can pray so very little if we claim that we're ruling from down here and yet we never consult the one who rules from the high throne, isn't that about the same as trying to rule from the high throne? Saying, I got this. I, I don't really have time to talk to you, but I got this. Lord, show me the ways I have set myself on your throne that I may confess, repent, and enjoy your abundant life. This Lent is the time to consider all the ways we've stolen the throne. Is it forgiving others? You know, the King Jesus, who belongs on that high throne, he forgives all sorts of people for all sorts of things. Um, do you? Or do you still hold people guilty in your heart that the King has forgiven? And isn't that the same as sneaking up there onto that high throne? I decide who gets forgiven around here, not him. Is it accepting others? 
You know, the King Jesus shocked people with the number of people he would accept as the people of God and into the people of God. Are you accepting? Or do we look down on people who vote the wrong way, who have the wrong hairdo, who wear the wrong clothes, who speak the wrong language in the wrong country? Do we climb up on that throne and define a smaller kingdom? I decide what a Christian looks like and who fits, not him. What are the ways we steal God's throne? Is it being devoted? Is it being loving? As we fast and pray, this Lenten season, we consider our lives. Lord, show me the ways I have set myself on your throne that I may confess and repent and enjoy your abundant life. It may take all week to strip down the layers of our life every time we feel that hunger or that, or that boredom or, or that disruption. Come on. Do you know the most ridiculous part of this story Jesus tells? If the landowner sends his rent collector and the guy gets beaten up and he sends another one and he gets beaten up, he sends another one and he gets killed, why on earth would you send any others? Yet the story says he sent others. And then when he ran out of rent collectors, he sends his son whom he loves. Why would his son go and why would the landowner send him and do a bunch of murdering usurpers? Is the king clueless? It is not wise or smart to do that. Why wouldn't you just summon the local authorities, send the army in and say, look, these guys have taken over my land. I need it back. Wipe them out. Unless he also loves those tenant farmers. Unless there's something about him that he's willing to say even to his own son, look, they're way off down there. Way off we got to turn them back. We've got to say, guys, come down to this low throne. I mean, look, it is a throne. You do, in fact, rule my vineyard, rule my kingdom. You do, in fact, perch on the bird feeder and drink out of the wonderful things I have put there. In fact, most of it is yours. You can build all kinds of things with it. I just ask for a portion back, maybe mostly to remind you that it is mine. And so you have a thankful heart and a heart of gratitude. Turn back, guys, turn back. And draw all the hummingbirds to this kingdom. And the son would say, he must love them too to say, okay, I'll go. This is a new picture of God. The landowner, the the hanger of hummingbirds, the high king, who even loves the tenant farmers who want him to go away. Our stage design team, thank you, has hung up all these empty frames, but today I think some of them are being filled in by this new picture of God that Jesus paints. So I asked the the worship team, could you pick a song for us that we can sing every Sunday through Lent that will remind us to cling to this picture of God that Jesus paints for us. We will cling only to his picture and it will help us to confess and repent and enjoy abundant life and they have picked this one called Only Thee. So they'll share that with us and we'll sing it together as our prayer. Amen.
We have a 10-minute coffee with pastor that follows this service. It's just right out that side door. It's an opportunity for me to get to meet some of you that I've not gotten to meet before. I would love to do that. During this season of Lent, I thought, let us proclaim our faith together each week using the Apostles' Creed. So we'll recite that uh, together each week. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ Jesus, you don't have to say these words. You're welcome just to stand with us. But look at this and consider what do I believe and what is the distance between my heart and that? And what would it mean for me to try to close that distance? For all the rest, I believe in God Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go forth in peace and prayer.